We're glad you're here. We are going to do some marriage and family stuff. We're going to talk um, family and marriage today and tomorrow specifically, mainly family. And then Wednesday, I'm really excited about Wednesday's lesson. Uh, we're going to talk about uh, marriage from kind of a different perspective. We're going to do some things from the Song of Solomon or Song of Songs. And it is a very good book. And we're going to talk about intimacy in more ways than just sexual intimacy. And we'll talk about uh, spiritual intimacy, emotional intimacy, several different things that, that the writer there tells us. If you, if you brought some college kids or single kids uh, with you uh, and they don't have a place to go, tell them to come on it's Tuesday, last class. Come on Tuesday because uh, good stuff in there about how to find a mate, once you found a mate, how to make it work, all that kind of good stuff. But Lee and I are excited to be here. And have you checked to see if your microphone's working? Test. There we go. All right. Uh, Red River Family Encampment has been a blessing to us, to the Morgan family. We have been coming here for, I would guess, uh, 20 years or more. Uh, we came as participants forever and ever. And uh, we've been speaking for past, I don't know how many years of that either. But it's been a blessing. I, I got to looking at relationships this morning of people that I was hugging next with. And the only way that I know these people are because of this encampment. Um, I, have, I have become involved in families' lives from meeting people sitting in classes. Uh, I've, been, I've been honored to be a part of weddings uh, from getting to know families at the Red River Family Encampment. Uh, we have gone and visited many churches from people that have come in classes, uh, mission trips. Uh, we do a lot of work in Honduras, and, and there were several people that I hugged this morning that I know only because they came to the family, uh, the Red River Family Encampment and said, we want to go with you on a mission trip, and they did. And so it has been a blessing to our family. We have all, we actually have seven uh, of our family with us, our boys, a daughter-in-law, uh, an extra uh, that we like. She may be here. Uh, she is dating our, our oldest son, and so we always like when those come and hang out with us. Uh, but we're glad they're here. Mm -hmm. They were going to Billy, Billy uh, McGuigan's class, and I asked them, why, why Billy? Why, why are you picking Billy over mom and dad? And they said, two reasons. We hear y'all all the time, and two, Billy has a really sweet accent. And I, and I told them, I said, I was, we were in California last month, two months ago, and they told us we had a really sweet accent. And they looked at us like, y'all don't have an accent. So um, we're glad to hear, be here. Here's, here's our, our sessions, if you want to look up here, that we'll talk about. Uh, we're talking a little bit about um, Fixer Upper from the show. If, let me see if it'll click for a second. No click? Oh, I hate to say click every time for me. But uh, if you don't know who these people are, let me just say congratulations on your ability not to be on social media, to watch TV, to read a paper, uh, any of those things. This is Chip and Joanna Gaines. They, they had a very, very popular show on HGTV called Fixer Upper. And we've kind of based some lessons on family off of Fixer Upper and the idea of how to take a family and figure out what needs kind of to be adjusted, what needs fixed, what needs torn down and rebuilt. Uh, and that's kind of the direction that we're going to be going. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, Demo Day. Uh, I, actually like, I actually like Demo, and I like we've done a lot of home remodel projects. Um, 
this is, we've always been a fan of the show, but it's been a part of uh, home projects. If it gets me tools, if I get to buy tools and my wife says, hey, can, can you tear up this bathroom? And I'm like, if, if it gets me a couple of new tools, yeah, I'm, I'm all for it. So uh, it's always a good thing for me to do a demo project or some kind of project around the house because the best thing that can happen is uh, I'll get a new tool somehow out of it. Several years ago, we went through a demo in our kitchen. Um, we had, we have a kitchen and then the eating area is right next to it, but there was a wall of cabinets that came down over a bar and it totally blocked my view from our guests. If we had guests, you know, sitting down at the table and I wanted to ask them what they'd like to drink, you know, I'd have to lean under and uh, so it was, it, it prohibited uh, me from visiting with my guests, from, you know, interacting with them. So I said, this wall of cabinets has got to come down. Um, and that's what we do a lot of times in demo. And that's what our lessons are going to be about today is taking down walls. You can't, uh, you can't oftentimes rebuild things in families without getting rid of things. Uh, if you brought paper with you and, and a pen or a notebook, I want to challenge you to just one through five. We've got five things we're going to share with you today. Five things that don't need to be a part of families and what we're going to replace them with. And that's kind of the direction that we're going to go. And if you back there are punching buttons and can move my next slide, uh, we're using our slides to kind of remind us of the direction we're going. Demo day, the purpose of demo day when you're doing any kind of project is to inspect and kind of figure out what needs to be torn down and replaced. Do you want to take out a wall? Do you want to take out an old bathtub? We did that recently and rebuilt a walk-in shower, that sort of thing. And much like a home rebuild project, relationships can be the same way. The problem is, is there's no such thing as a quick um, a demo. There's no such thing as a remodel project. If you've done a remodel at your home, you don't come in and go, hey, uh, we're, we're free this weekend. This would be a great time for us to gut the bathroom and start over. Uh, these things take months. And, and the bigger the project, the longer it takes. And sometimes with families and sometimes in relationships with marriage, if I've got something that's become a part of my marriage that's not good that I need to work on, then, then it may take months. It may take years to, to finally get it fixed the way that it needs to be, both physically, if I'm doing a project at the home, and relationally in my family. So those things take time, and they take work, and there's nothing easy about it. Um, the thing is, is the worst thing you can sometimes do is ignore stuff, kind of kick back and go, hey, the relationship will fix itself. Nobody ever comes along and says, let's, let's do, a, a, home dem, uh, let's go do a, a demo project on our kitchen and, and remodel. And you wake up, you know, in a, in a couple of weeks and go, hey, that was nice. That was easy. That was fun. Um, it takes work. It takes effort. And it takes a lot of times a lot of struggles. Um, I have said many times in things that we do together in, in Reno at our house that if your marriage can survive a, a house renovation, it can survive a whole lot of stuff in this world. And that's true when it comes to renovations in our family and marriage as well. So let's talk a little bit. If we're clicking our buttons back there, let's talk a little bit about our first one for a second and see if it will go. Uh, actually, let's read a text. Let's go to Psalm 127. If you've got a Bible with you, Psalm 127. We're going to share two or three texts with you this morning. Psalm 127, one of our favorite. David says, unless the Lord builds the house, the builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the guards stand in vain. 
In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, and he grants sleeps to those he loves. And notice verse 3. Children are a heritage, or the word there is a blessing. Children are a blessing from the Lord. Offspring are a reward from Him. Like arrows in the hands of warriors are children's born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their opponents at the court. So if you've got children, if you have a family, if you have relationship, the Lord says, I have blessed you with relationship. I have blessed you with family. I have blessed you with kids. If you've got grandkids, I have blessed you with grandkids. If your quiver is full, you are a blessed person. And arrows are meant to shoot. Arrows are not always meant to just show off. Sometimes we have to do, in families, work to make things work better. All right, let's go to the first point, things that we're going to work on for a second. All right, number one, here's what we're going to do. If we're doing demo on family, one of the things that needs to go in families today is criticism and to be placed with encouragement. If you're tearing down walls in family, one of the things that's very unhealthy on families today is criticism and it needs to be replaced with encouragement. We've become a people that are very good about complaining. Uh, there's a big difference between a criticism and a complaint. And sometimes things warrant a complaint. Does that make sense? I, the, the difference between criticism and a complaint is, is not just what you're criticizing, but what you're complaining about. Let me, let me explain. If you're at the store and there is a spill on aisle two, and you go over and go, hey... I need to let you know there is a spill on aisle two and that needs, that needs cleaned up before somebody falls. You've made a complaint saying something that needs to be done. A criticism, on the other hand, is going, some idiot on aisle two spilt something and, and none of your idiots have cleaned it up yet. Now that's a criticism and that is a big difference in a complaint. That is something that is not healthy when it comes to family. Sometimes we take things that are meant to say, hey, can you pick up laundry that you've left and you hadn't put up? Mom's washed your laundry. Can you put that up? And we may throw criticism in there that makes it more of a personal dig. And, and criticism is actually very hard on families and marriage. If you are guessing, do you criticize more than you compliment? Would, would you personally say, yeah, I do a much better job complimenting my family and my spouse than I do criticizing them? Did you know that in, in statistics have shown that in marriages where they criticize or where they compliment five times more than they criticize, the divorce rate drops to 12% in those marriages? Meaning it shows you that there is a huge blessing in marriages and in families where you specifically and intentionally work to be someone who does a good job giving encouragement versus criticism. Notice uh, Colossians 3.19 on the board up there. Husbands love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Do not be harsh with them. Proverbs uh, 27, 15, a quarrelsome wife is annoying as a constant dripping on a rainy day. All right? There are no elbows, all right? I mean, when we're doing our class. Go to the next slide for a second. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. That's a huge verse right there in families. If we would just be people that would learn how to 
correctly handle our tone. Tone is, is huge. They, somebody wrote recently in a book we read, 80% of all the things that fights that go on in families is because somebody simply used the wrong tone. Only 20% of the stuff is actually legitimate. 80% somebody used the wrong tone. Um, let's, let's give it an example for a second. Well, can you imagine if I've come in and I've had a really long day and, and, and she probably had a long day, but I don't really ask her about her day. I've come in. I said, hi, hon. It's good to see you today. I complimented supper that she fixed. I even took my dishes, moved them to the sink, and set them in there, thinking I've helped her out, told her it was a great supper, and I cannot wait to get to my recliner because that's where some tranquility is going to be in a second. I get my feet up, and I'm sitting there. What I don't know is... Well, as I'm sitting there doing the dishes... I'm thinking, man, I've got laundry that's on the bed that I've got to put away. The kids still need to finish homework and get their baths. And he's in there sitting in his recliner. It's going to be a couple of more hours before I can even go sit down and relax. And he's just in there sitting. So I might walk over to him and go, look, I know that you could either help with the kids or do the dishes, but you're not going to just sit here and watch TV. So how well does that go over? Not very well. Although I probably deserved it, right? <laughs> so this, just an example of how if I just could think about the way I say things, the words I use, maybe I could go into him and say something more along the lines of, honey, I know that you have had a long day and you're tired, but so have I. And I, man, I still have a lot to do before I can sit down and rest. Do you think maybe you could get the kids in the bathtub and get them going on their homework while I knock out these dishes and put up the laundry? And then after the kids are in bed, we can sit down and watch this show together. You could just pause it, and then we'll sit down and watch it together. Wouldn't that be great? That's a good plan. So can you see how the difference in your tone and your words can just make a huge difference in quarrels in your house. Personalities play a big role in that as well, depending on if you're a person that's a glass half full person or a glass half empty person. Do you want to explain that for a sec? Yeah. Trey and I are total opposites in every sense of the word. Um, and in our marriage workshops, we give a big ex list of examples of how we're opposite. But one of the ways that we're opposite is he's very optimistic. He's glass half full. He's very good at encouraging. He's just a positive person, and it comes very natural to him to encourage and to build up. Well, I'm more of a negative personality. I'm glass half empty. I tend to see the negatives before I see the positives. And so encouragement does not come easy to me. I tend to want to say... You know, you left your socks down instead of saying, hey, that, you did a great job cleaning your room. I, all I see is, you know, what you didn't do. So I have to work. I really have to work extra hard to build up and be more positive and cut down on the criticism in our household. To some people, that comes very natural. And, and if you're one of those people, uh, this is an easy point for you. If you're not one of those people, you have to be very intentional at finding yourself working hard to say, Am I, is what I'm about to say going to come across as, as being critical or as come across as being encouraging? Uh, somebody said, I read this recently, it was excellent, the difference between a good marriage and a bad marriage is leaving about three things unsaid every day. And I thought that's probably right. Meaning, you don't have to say everything you always think. 
uh, maybe you heard about the, the, the guy that was going to go be a monk. And uh, he, he took a vow of silence and went to live on a hill in the mountains. And he, couldn't, he, he got two words per year. That's all he got, two words per year. And the first time everybody gathers together because everybody's getting their little two words in, you know, that sort of thing. And, and, and everybody's wanting to hear what his, it's his first two words he's ever spoke. So it, his year rolls around, he gets up, everybody's sitting out listening, and he says, food's bad. That was his two words. So the next year rolls around, and everybody's kind of hoping, I hope it's improved for him, you know. And they gather around to hear what his next two, years were, two words were for the next year, and he said, bed hard. Third year rolls around, gets up, everybody's going, don't know what he's going to say now, but he gets up and he goes, I quit. Everybody sitting around goes, man, he hasn't done anything but complain since he's got here. I'm not surprised that he's quitting. Um, it's easy sometimes, even if you're one that doesn't speak much, that if you always come across in a very negative sense, that's always a hard thing to do. So uh, let's roll over to the next one, just because we're limited on time, and let's catch our last four here. Number two, let's talk about the wall of inconsistency that needs to come down in our families, and we're going to replace it with consistency, meaning what children see, they do. For example, I'll just skip down real quick. Let's cover the bottom point for a second if you're following bullet points. You teach your kids two ways. If you're a grandparent, you teach your kids two ways. There's verbal instruction. You tell them things, and they hear that. And, and sometimes that works, but about 80% of what they're going to learn from you is not going to be what they see, say, but what they see from you. And when you do, when they see you doing especially what it is you've told them to do, it will stick. That's a huge thing that you become someone who teaches more than just with words. You have got to model the very behavior that you're teaching because it is not easy sometimes, honestly, for parents to be consistent oftentimes with the very things that we tell our kids. Um, look at the list up here because what your children see, they will do. What are you teaching them when it comes to marriage? Your children are learning how to do marriage from watching you. Uh, sons are learning how to be husbands from watching their how their dads treat their moms. Uh, little girls are watching how to be wives from how their moms treat their dads. Uh, your kids are learning what to expect from a future spouse, uh, you know, by watching their parents, how they treat each other. So model a good marriage to your kids. Your, your children, and even your grandchildren, for those of you in here that's raised children, they need to see you doing things like being affectionate with one another. Um, they may say that's gross or get a room. You know, we actually like it when our youngest are like, oh, that is disgusting. Uh, it's healthy for them to, to see you being affectionate. It is healthy for them to see you dating uh, that, hey, mom and dad want to go on a date. You know, our kids forever, they'd go, why aren't you taking us? Why are y'all going by yourself? And we'd say, because you went with us the last four times we went out to eat, and it's our time to spend time together. They are learning about how to do marriage from you, and they need to see you being affectionate. They need to see you dating. They need to see you handling conflict. The way you treat one another is extremely important. And if, if you're blowing up and refusing to talk and, oh, there goes dad again, you know, hey, don't bother dad for the next hour until he cools off. They're learning, hey, when I get older, that's the way I handle things. And that's probably not what you want to be teaching them. Because you can tell them all day long, hey, we don't, we don't raise our voice and we don't call each other names and we don't lose our temper. But if you do, they will. 
They're learning that. Your children are learning from you how to do marriage. They're learning how to do love, conflict resolution. Do you, do you have a temper? You, you may be sitting there going, yeah, I got a temper, you know. My, my, my dad had a temper and my granddad had a temper and, you know, that's just part of my family and who I am. You're, you're raising your kids to have a temper. The only reason you have a temper is because you saw your parent or parents have a temper. Your short fuse is because that's how you learned it. And at some point, somebody's got to man up or be a, a, a strong enough woman to go, hey, I can't do this anymore. I'm not going to let my children be people who lose their cool and blow their top. Got to break that cycle. And, and using the excuse of my, my dad or my granddad or my, my mom and my, my grandmother had a short temper, and so I have a short temper, that's a horrible excuse. Uh, can you imagine Can you imagine seeing a guy with a broke leg? I mean, you know him, and, and you go, Man, what happened to your leg? Ah, I broke it last year. Well, are you going to get it fixed? No, no, I'm just going to drag it around. Why, why are you going to drag your leg around? Why would you do that and not get that fixed? Well, you know, my dad had a broke leg, and he drug his around, and my granddad had a broke leg, and he drug his around, you know. You'd be going, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. Same with a temper. When you go, ah, oh, my dad had a temper, my mom had a temper, my grandma had a temper. What are your kids learning from you when it comes to conflict resolution? Honesty? When uh, you can tell them all day long, hey, we don't lie in this house. And what happens when the first time somebody knocks on your door and you look out there and you go, oh, I don't want to go to the door and talk to them. Hey, kids, tell them that I'm not home. You, you just told your kids, yes, we do lie in this house. So it's important that you teach them honesty, not just in word, but in action. How about how you treat a waitress or somebody you disagree with? You know, personally, I, I don't know what, I don't know where you eat in Red River, New Mexico when you're here this week. But I would love to think that when we leave, they go, I'll miss those people because they're good to us. We should be the best tippers out there. We should be the ones not complaining about, man, I hadn't had anybody fill my drink in the last two minutes. Did you know, according to studies, that the, the, the time, the least popular time for waiters and waitresses to want to work, nobody wants the Sunday afternoon church crowd. We're the biggest gripers and complainers and the worst tippers. And to me, that's ridiculous. That should not be. We should be just the opposite. How do you go from learning about the grace of God and listening to it and giving God thanks for being so good to you and go to a waitress and chew on her because she didn't get your glass filled or your food didn't come out right? Talk about hypocrisy. Your kids need to see you being good to waitresses and waiters and everything else. Tipping them well, even maybe when they didn't provide the greatest service. Because we're the most blessed people in the world. You can tell them all day long, be nice to people. But if you're not nice to people, they're not going to be nice to people either. It's important that you teach your kids. Go ahead. Integrity is not on there. <clears throat> but how are you, what are you teaching your kids about integrity? Doing the right thing even when nobody else is looking. You know, we're real quick uh, to point out if we've been shortchanged. You know, if we didn't get back enough change, we're going to be sure we let somebody know that. But what if we get back too much? Use that as a teaching moment for your children. Say, hey, you know, ooh, this would be an easy 10 bucks. We just could pocket. But use that as a teaching moment. 
you know, show your kids, hey, we're going to do the right thing even though we could get away with this. We're going to tell them, hey, you gave me back too much change. Integrity is important. Very good point. Let's go to the next one. Let's go to number three. Number three. Uh, the wall of busyness. This is a struggle for families today. It needs to be replaced with the wall of time. Uh, and you may think, hey, I'm, because I see my kids during the day, that I'm getting plenty of time with my kids. But did you know that the average parent gets to face-to-face communication without a TV going, a video game going, or, or a phone in a hand that you're looking at? You get about four minutes a day, is it, on average? Four minutes. It's hard to talk and communicate and spend time with your kids with four minutes a day. Children spell love, T-I-M-E. It's the greatest gift you can give your kids is time. Healthy families, healthy families that figured this out, they don't make time. They don't find time, they make time. Meaning you're never going to come along and go, I, I, I'll, I'll find some time to do this or I'll find some. There's, there's no such thing anymore as finding time. You're going to have to make time with your family. And I love the statistic I read recently in the paper that said 1,500 school children were asked, what do you think makes a happy family? The number one thing, doing things together. Doing things together. One of the things I love about the Red River Family Encampment is because my family every year goes, what's the dates? So we can make plans to be there next year. It becomes a tradition. When I do funerals, and I do lots of funerals, an older community, 30 plus years of ministry, lots of funerals. Never, never, never do I hear people ask, I mean, never, when I sit down with a family and go, tell me about your dad, tell me about your granddad, tell me about your mom, never do they go, hey, they always love spending time in the office. Nobody on their deathbed ever says, I wish I would spent more time in the office. Time is something you got to give your kids and your family. You know what most people remember? When I sit down with families to do funerals, I'm always amazed. I'll say, hey, tell me some stories. What do you remember? It's always when they were playing. Families always, I remember that one vacation we took. I remember that time when we went fishing. It is really, really important. We've become a society that's just busy. Busy, busy, busy. We're always on the go. Our calendars are always full. Uh, our kids are involved in every sport and every music lesson and every, you know, dance lesson, art lesson. We're volunteering for concession stands and PTA and we're running them to this sport practice and we're going to this ball game and you may work a full-time job and still have to do the you know the shopping the cooking the laundry uh, we're just busy uh, and all these things that we're doing are good things you know you may be you may be volunteering and doing good service projects for God but if it's taken away from family time all the time then sometimes it's okay to say no to some good activities. Because family needs to come, you know, family's important. And if your family time is suffering because you're doing out doing good in the community, then sometimes you got to just say, hey, I know that's a good thing that I could be doing, but tonight I need to stay home and I need to wrestle in the floor with my kids. Yeah, board game night, uh, movie night. I love, I love my friends, the Kirkpatrick family. They have, I guarantee you, they protect Thursday nights. Nothing comes in the way of Thursday nights. It is Kirkpatrick family movie night. And a different kid picks out a different movie every Thursday night. And it's just their way of getting to spend some time together. Uh, it is healthy that we become people who slow down. Maybe there's something to the verse, be still and know that I am God. 
kind of hard to know God if you're so busy you don't have time to be still. You remember when we were kids, the big phrase was, don't, don't just stand there, do something. I think God looks at us as family sometimes and goes, hey, don't just do something, stand there for a while. And I think Satan is plenty proud that if he can't get us to sin, he'll just keep us so busy that we don't have time to do the things that really need to be done. We've got to be better at managing our time and finding time off and days off. I love the story of the family that uh, had saved. This was in the 40s. They had saved to do a home rebuild, actually. And, and they had saved all year long. They were excited about it, going to redo a bathroom and make it bigger. Two sinks. They had talked about it all year long. They, they got to the time the money was saved. They sat down at the first of the summer and they said, all right, how are we going to do this? Who do we want to get to do it? When do we want to start? And one of the kids, out of just sheer, not even thinking about it, said, you know what would be really cool, though? is if we went on a really cool vacation this year with this money, and then we saved again next year and did the bathroom next year. They loaded up and went to Yosemite National Park, took all the money that was going into the bathroom rebuild project, and went and had the best family vacation. The next year rolls around, they sit down together, and they go, hey, we're going to get that bathroom done this year. And one of the kids goes, you remember how much fun we had last year on family vacation? Two years in a row. They load up and they take another family vacation. They said, we'll do the bathroom next year. Ten years in a row they have taken an elaborate vacation. Not got a bathroom done. Their youngest son is killed in the Korean War. In one of his letters he writes home, his dad tells a story. One of his letters he writes home and says, you know, there's been a lot of people dying over here recently. And my time may be near. And there's a few things that I want to say. And he wrote this letter and he told his mom and dad, thanks for being great parents and thanks for this and thanks for that. And he specifically mentioned the last ten vacations we've had as a family have been amazing. The greatest memories of my life. Thank you for doing that. And his mom and dad read that and as they had tears, they were just so thankful that they had not chose to redo the bathroom. But instead chose spend time with family because that's what mattered let's go to the next one all right let's talk about communication for a second in families we're going to the last two points we're going to talk about some really tough stuff uh stuff that may make you a little uncomfortable and that's all right uh stuff that somewhere has got to be brought up uh the world talks about stuff all the time we're not very good in the churches and families have always talking about stuff that the world talks about but we're going to talk about some stuff this week that that uh, needs to be said one way or another. Um, but we get a little lazy and a little complacent when it comes to communication. Um, and and it, whether it's husband, wife, whether it's kids, whether it's uh, kids with parents, if you've got teenagers, you're going, man, I just wish I could figure out how to make them talk. Uh, we've had teenagers, we understand. And we've kind of learned over time that kids don't always talk. Sometimes what kids do is, you know, when, when they show up on their terms and sit down and start talking, it don't matter what you're doing. You better stop what you're doing. If they're willing to talk, you listen for a while. You can be right in the middle of something. You could be have a meeting in a few minutes, and if your kids come in and sit down and say, hey, let's, you know, let's talk, and they start spilling their, you know, finally they're talking, man, you may not know when that's going to happen again. You take advantage of that opportunity where your kids have talked to you. But as husbands and wives, little talk is important talk. There's no such thing as small talk. 
When your spouse comes in and you ask about their day, listen to what they say. I have a hard time sometimes. I think I'm real good at multitasking. I'm not. My kids come in and talk to me sometime, and if I've got my phone in my hand and I'm trying to do something or I was working on something, I'm trying to listen, and I don't do a very good job at that. My wife, I'm working hard. My wife now, a lot of times when my wife comes in and we're talking, man, I'm going to close my laptop lid. I'm going to set my phone down because (laughs) we were talking the other day or (laughs) I was sitting here looking at my phone doing something like this, and she goes, you didn't hear a word I just said, did you? And I thought to myself, that is a weird way to start a conversation. (laughs) And I thought, all right, (laughs) she's a whole lot more important than the people in this. And so I've got to do a better job of not letting things get in the way of our communication. Men use about 12,000 words a day. And uh, women, wives, moms, supposedly, they talk about 25,000 words a day. I always say with Gus up to 30,000 words, you know, something along those lines. Uh, I always think it's funny because if men use about 12,000 words a day, usually by the time they get home from work, they've about used all theirs up. And that's why when you go, how was your day? And they say, it was good. What would you do today? Nothing. Husbands, you've got to do a better job at that, all right? When they say, what would you do today? You need to share with them what you're talking about. Because we're not always very good. We, we don't think our wives are interested in the boring, mundane details of our day. But they actually are. And they want to hear about those things. A 10-year study revealed that happily married couples different from, differ from unhappily married couples in that they talk more with each other. They convey feelings that they understand. They ask questions. They have a wider range of subjects available to them. They show more sensitivity towards one another's feelings. All of this comes through communication. I've always said, and we will always talk about the fact that we fell in love, and you and your spouse fell in love because you talked. You may have thought he was handsome or she was pretty, but you didn't fall in love because she was pretty or he was handsome. It's because y'all spent hours talking. Y'all remember those days, right? talking on the phone. Now you look back and you laugh and you go, what did we talk about for all that amount of time? But you fell in love through communication. You remain in love for the same reason. Communication, and it needs to be an essential part of family in many ways. Be a good listener. Uh, Small talk doesn't mean insignificant talk. Let's look at this last point. We're going to skip a little bit of that just because we want to get down here this last part. Uh, As a family, sometimes today it's real easy to try to just fit in with the world. And, and fitting in with the world is not always the way God has designed for families to work. We need to do things God's ways, God's way. Um, and, and many of those things that, you know, we're, we're learning. Families have new struggles all, all the time. Uh, there are new things that come into families' worlds that we're trying to deal with and adjust to. And, um, you know, the, the cell phone, uh, the statistic on there is pretty crazy that you, most, on average... The, the average person touches their cell phone 150 times a day. 150 times a day. You realize how many things this has replaced in your world? Uh, I don't have a GPS anymore. That'd be this. Uh, we don't own a camera anymore. That, that'd be this. Uh, I don't have a date book. I don't carry a calendar book anymore. <laughs> we have this. Uh, you just go down the list 
uh, email, whatever it is. This thing has replaced so many things. What you don't want it to do is replace your family. What you don't want to do is replace your relationships. 150 times a day. That averages out to, in a 50-minute class, about five to six times during class that somebody's reached over and touched us. Now, you may go, hey, I don't even, yeah, I carry a flip phone. Well, that means somebody's going way over on their 150 times a day if you don't touch yours that much. We've actually invented new words, new things that are happening to us because of these things right here in our families. One of them is called phantom vibration sensation. You know what that is? That's where you think you hear your message go off in your pocket or a vibration. You go, oh, somebody sent me a message. And you look down and nobody sent you anything. You just think you have felt it because you, in your brain, it automatically all the time is going, hey, are you hearing it? Are you feeling it? Are you feeling it? You're hearing it? So are our cell phones helping our relationships or are they hurting our relationships? Now, one of the things that, that we want to tend to not do is sometimes in relationships or sometimes in families, one of the things we do when something comes in and we don't know how to deal with it, we swing the pendulum too far. And, and I'm not up here telling you you need to chunk this out. There needs to be rules about cell phones. If you're paying for your kid's cell phone, you should have access to your kid's cell phone. Meaning, I can ask my kids any time, hey, what are you doing on your cell phone? Can I see what you're doing on your cell phone? Uh, I have to ask hard questions about cell phones with my kids all the time. Is there anybody sending you messages that you're not supposed to be getting? Cell phones are a part of the thing. But, but don't swing it, the pendulum so far over that you go, hey, we just got to throw all those things in the trash. Now, there's a lot of good things you can do with a cell phone. I communicate with my family more today than I ever have because of this. There's, there's some healthy things that you can do with this right here. Use it in the right way. That's the that's important thing. Did you know 36% of all the internet is, is pornography? Which is crazy. Used to, you had to go down to some store and buy a magazine. Now it take you about two seconds to find it on the internet. That's hurting families today. We're having to deal with new things that deal with pornography. One in every four Google searches is something sexual in nature. Go to the next slide. Um, it's not always easy to talk about those things, but those are things that you've got to talk about with your kids and families. It's not always easy to talk about Marriage and relationships and sex and cell phones and hard topics. And is anybody asking you to drink? And is anybody challenging you or talking to you about having sex? But your kids hear these messages every day through their peers, so you need to be talking about them too. It's important that you do. Now, one of the things that we've tried hard in our family to do is we, we have, you know, we grew up in homes where nobody talked about sex a whole lot, since we're actually on the subject for a second. And, and so it was like, the only time it ever came up is if it came on TV and somebody was in charge of going to turn it off if it was brought up. And so it wasn't discussed much. Your kids are talking about it all the time at school. They hear it in every song, every movie, every video. It's in every book, every magazine. The world talks about it every day. And if you and I don't, and if the church doesn't, Somebody needs to tell God's side of the story. Does that make sense? It's time for churches 
and families and parents to open their mouth and say, hey, let me tell you about what God really says about sex. We had a parent the other day that caught us and said, hey, my, my eighth grade junior high girl got a message from a high school boy on Instagram saying, would you send me some naked pictures? He said, how do I deal with this? I said, let's sit down and talk about it. These are things going on in our families every day. One of the big things that we oftentimes do, we ignore it. But God's, God's not ashamed. God's not opposed to sex. We tend to think Satan is the one that invented it. God created it. And it was created to be beautiful in the confines of marriage. It was created to be a gift to married people. And if it's messed up, it's because the world's messed it up. But your kids can't hear about just all the bad stuff all the time. They also need to hear about all the good stuff all the time. I find it interesting that God teaches us the two shall become one flesh. There is power in, in, in the act of sex. Uh, one of the illustrations we use sometimes is two pieces of construction paper that we've glued together. Two, two shall become one flesh. And we always explain, we take a, usually like a, a black one and a yellow one that are two different colors, and you try to peel those apart once they've been glued together, and, and the, the yellow one has got black still all over it where it's pulled part of the black off, and the, and the black one has got yellow all over it where it's pulled part of And And we don't think of sex as powerful. Today, college students, high school students, it's, it's no big deal. Sex is a huge deal. It's powerful. There's connection. The Bible teaches us that. Let's go to the next slide because we're almost out of time. Here's, here's the interesting thing when we're talking Adam and Eve and sex. When you take what God told you not to touch, what, what did God tell Adam and Eve not to touch? The fruit from the tree. If you touch it, if you do what God told you not to do, it can keep you from having what God, what God wanted you to have all the time. So now look at that from sex and marriage. When you touch what you're not supposed to touch, it can keep you from having what God intended you to have all along, which is an amazing sex life with your spouse. Here's something that's interesting. Let me read this to you for a second. Um, the CDC says this. People who are regular porn users, who uh, have lots of sexual partners have higher rates of depression, lower rates of physical health. The New York Times, this is New York Times. This is not a Christian study. New York Times did an article recently that said, as porn has increased due to cell phones and the, the easy access of it, sexual addiction and dysfunction has skyrocketed. People with regular porn use, multiple sexual partners, find the inability to maintain meaningful relationships with people of the opposite sex. Meaning, when you touch what you're not supposed to touch, when God has said, wait, and you don't listen to what he says, it messes things up. Regular porn use, multiple sexual partners find the inability to maintain meaningful relationships with people of the opposite sex. Long-term relationships become difficult with instant gratification becoming so easy. And you know what the biggest lie out there is? The biggest lie out there today is it's no big deal. And we need to tell our kids it is a big deal. That God created it for marriage and it is beautiful. And 
we don't have to fit in with a world that says, ha, it's no big deal. Safe sex to the world is, hey, we had a condom. But the Bible teaches us that two shall become one flesh, and you can't get a condom big enough to fit around your soul. And our kids need to understand that. God made sex special. Society has made it common, and sex is, uh, special is much better. We have about two minutes. Let's zip through these last two slides, and we'll quit. We'll pick up tomorrow with some fun stuff. Um, is there one? Back up a little bit. I'm looking for one that's got a picture of a pineapple. Oh, there you go. I picked this story up from another guy that, that was telling me about this recently. Uh, in, in 1492, when Columbus came over to the New World, they had no, nobody over in England had seen pineapples. Uh, to us, that's kind of crazy, right? And, and they brought some of these back. I, I, I'm always wondering who tried it first and said, hey, that's really good. They brought some of these back, and it took that country like crazy, like fire. Everybody wanted one of these things. They, you, you had to spend the equivalent of $8,000 to get a pineapple back in those days because nobody had them. I mean, I mean, they were awesome. You could rent, get this, you could rent a pineapple. And you could take it to your business and bring everybody in. Come see the pineapple. And you'd lift, you know, maybe the curtain or a box and everybody go, oh, that is awesome. It's a pineapple. They loved pineapple. Loved it. Their architectural work. Look at this next screen. They have all kinds of stuff over there that look like pineapples because they fell in love with the pineapple back then. Isn't that crazy? Now, we sit around going, bunch of crazy people liking pineapple. You know, what were they thinking? And, and I like it because then they, if they could come up and look at us looking at our phones all day long, then I go, well, it's a bunch of crazy people. What are they doing looking at their phones all day long? All of a sudden, they started getting pineapple. Everybody started bringing in pineapple on ships and boats, and, and they started planting pineapple, and all of a sudden, pineapple was no big deal. Everybody had pineapple. It was just no big deal anymore. Now, here, here's where you can get pineapple. Great value chunks. Isn't that exciting? If I, if I was to t go to the store uh, and walk down the pineapple aisle and go, hey, hey, everybody gather around, I want to show you all something, pineapple chunks. They would look at me and go, well, you've been smoking, you know. You can buy these for 50 cents, pineapple chunks. It, it's no big deal anymore. That's, that's how sex has become in the world. It's no big deal anymore. The problem is God made sex special. We've tried to make it, the world has tried to make it common. Special is better. We've got to quit trying to fit in with the world and start trying to do things God's way when it comes to building families. So, last slide, we're done. There you go. Criticism's got to go. Encouragement needs to come in. We need consistency. We need time. We need communication. We need to do things God's way. Tomorrow, we're going to talk about some specifics on building a foundation on family of what you need. Fun stuff. I, tomorrow, I make her talk a whole lot more. So come back because that's much better when she talks. Thank you all for coming to class. We appreciate you all being here.